Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast, recorded Friday, January the 21st. In this week's edition, we're going to talk about the coronavirus and a range of other odds and ends of a kind of rapid-fire roundup like we have in the past. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Let's do it. Let's do it. Afternoon. So, uh, same, uh, same song, new verse, Omicron is bad. The governor hopes that we're nearing the peak, but uh, insufficient evidence at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'd say so. We had our second biggest one-day increase today, 13,000 some cases, and and everybody acknowledges that with the flood of in-home testing, very little of which is self-reported to the state health department, the number's probably a lot higher than that. Three in every 100 people in Arkansas, at a minimum, have an active case of COVID-19 right now. Uh, the hospitalizations continue to be the, the news. There's 658 people in the hospital today, I think, and that's a record. And, and a whopping like 425 in ICU and almost 200 on ventilators. And when you're on a ventilator, your uh, life is hanging in the balance. So anybody who thinks Omicron isn't as serious, maybe should go and ask the families of those 600 people in ICU or on a, on a ventilator. But the governor in his news conference today said, yeah, all the other governors say that it starts dropping fast and we're hoping. And Jose Romero, I put a little more stock in him, says his hope is that the decline should begin by next week. But that, but it doesn't mean it's gone away at that point. It still means it's there. And, and as he said, the disease for some people, particularly those who don't get vaccinated, can be very bad. And the governor, even today, had to acknowledge how pitiful our vaccination rate is. He blamed it on national confusion. It couldn't be blamed on his lack of, of pushing on it or on Arkansas stupidity. It has to be Joe Biden or somebody else's fault, not our own. I uh, saw Austin Bailey did a report today on uh, Brian Davis, state senator from Russellville, who had a Facebook post telling people that they were free to ignore uh, health department guidelines in terms of of quarantining uh, kids and you know if your kid's healthy even if they've been exposed keep no no reason to to not send them to daycare unbelievable Just, yeah one of <laughs> and I guess I guess she said well I mean they they can't enforce it anyway which is irresponsible as that is it's also true <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean that's that's just a fact. And and although Jose Romero did, by the way, at his news conference today, say that yes, the, the, these quarantines are not really just advisory; you're supposed to obey them. But but I mean, as a matter of fact, we don't have a bunch of health police going around and making sure it happens. And and we listened to to Hutchins and somebody from the education department saying, "Oh man, the number of schools that are." having to go remote is down a lot this week and people are just doing such a great job everything's fine i mean meanwhile they put up a chart that shows the biggest single rise in cases is among guess what people age 12 to 18. who are those people they go to school <laughs> I, I don't know this it's it's frustrating that's all uh, a week from today, I believe the legislature will meet to consider whether or not to approve the request from from DHS and, and others to abide by the federal vaccine requirement for recipients of Medicaid money. The governor said today that he he thought that it was going to be easy going and that they would 
understand where the uh, where the money comes from, but well, yes, in a rational world, the Arkansas legislature would not say no. We're we're going to enforce a state law, no required vaccinations, even if it means the state loses a quarter of a billion dollars in Medicaid money. But this is a state where a state senator says health rules don't mean anything; you can ignore them, and so maybe. Who who's to say this legislature wouldn't say let's test them on it? Would they really take our money away if if we didn't enforce this? Would they really? I mean, I I I, I have no confidence that you'll have a unanimous vote from the legislature to do the right thing. I'm I'm beyond expecting anything but the worst from them. Okay, well let's move on, and maybe I'm wrong, but wouldn't any other topic that uh, seemed like it held the the weight of our normal uh, three topics. So let's just kind of run through some things and see where we land. Uh, Austin Bailey reported uh, this week that a Moms for Liberty group has emerged in Pulaski County. Yeah, they're going to fight masks and fight dirty books and and uh, fight any books that admits that the United States has ever had any racial problems. Uh, I, I think they're an outgrowth of a national movement that has recognized that there's a lot of ground can be won politically by making schools out to be dens of iniquity and that this is it's just an adjunct of republican politics and that's and but doesn't mean it won't be successful uh, they're they're apparently wind enough though to go after little rock school district and that happens to be a redoubt of generally good thinking i i don't think they'll get far trying to bully the little rock school board but but i may be wrong yeah, I I don't think they're they're doing public comment in public for Little Rock school meeting school board meetings, but some moms I know are, are willing to go up and and get in some people's faces if uh, if that happens. Yeah. Uh, the most amusing story of the week probably was a report that Tom Cotton may have been influenced by. Russian agents when he advocated to President Trump that the U.S. should buy Greenland several years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, this this actually had come out a little bit at the time. I mean, apparently, Russia was stirring up this notion because they want to they want to create Denmark and U.S. hostility, and because there's a lot of valuable interests in the North Atlantic, and so apparently they some Russian agent basically forwarded some letter saying that Denmark might be interested in selling Greenland to the United States and sent it to Tom Cotton, and of course. Tom Cotton took credit back several months ago as having floating this idea to Donald Trump. So who knows? It, it was, you know, it, but but Tom Cotton is, won't admit error, and he's an expert on all things, particularly foreign affairs. And and uh, I see he's involved in this effort to stop a Biden appointee who's going to try and investigate anti-Semitism. But uh, she once said something ugly about Ron Johnson, so uh, they won't approve her, her nomination. <laughs> There's there's an embarrassment just about everywhere you go. Imagine saying something bad about Ron Johnson. Yeah. Uh, a friend of the court. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. That's all right. Uh, a friend of the court brief was filed by some local business heavy hitters in the anti-trans case that's on appeal. The state has appealed to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Yeah, you know, the Walton Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, the State Chamber of Commerce all weighed in on the side of uh, opposing the law that prevents transgender children from getting medical care. And that's good for them. This happens to tie into a 
fabulous Jane Mayer story about the conflict of interest that Clarence Thomas has sitting on all of these cases in which his wife, who's a right-wing nut, has many financial and political ties. But it raised the issue of the increase in the number of amicus briefs that are being filed in court. And what they are essentially is lobbying efforts. They're, they're kind of to send a signal that this group or that group is on this side or that side of, of an important issue. In this case, I happen to welcome this these particular group of people because they're not really known for progressive politics in a lot of ways. And so that's a good thing, whether it'll influence the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is one of the most right wing in the country. I, I just don't know. But it, it, it caused me to say that, that this I mean, what they said was exactly right. This law is bad for business. It sends a message that Arkansas is just a terrible state. It sends a terrible message to employees who have transgender children and who worry about these things. It's just mean and wrong in about a thousand different ways. But but you could make some of the same arguments about laws that prevent women from being able to seek abortions, that 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 allow discrimination against gay people, uh, that allow the pretext of religion to be invoked against all kinds of sound public policy practices. And so, I mean, it, it, to a small degree, as much as I welcome these people's intervention on the right side of this case, I, I take it with something of a grain of salt. Well, my favorite post this week on the Arkansas blog was uh, your reminiscences uh, about being a reporter years ago. This <laughs> is this is your 50th year reporting in Little Rock, uh, and uh, things have changed. Well, yeah, we, we, we did have the internal combustion engine in, 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 1970, <laughs> in 1973, but we didn't have electric cars to speak of, except on a few golf courses, I guess. But, I mean, really, it's just, it's, it is kind of amazing to think how much has changed since then. I mean, newspapers, which I went to work for, are virtually dying. The one I went to work for died long ago, but, I mean, they're dying nationally now. And, and the Internet, cell phones computers. I mean, they had guys setting the hot type on line type machines when I arrived in Little Rock. So it's it was one of those occasions that old fogies like to do is, is look back upon things. But at $130 a week, I wasn't really ever very short of cash back then, except for when I needed a brake break job on my car. And that, that kind of put me in a hole. But otherwise, I had an $80 a week, uh, $80 a month furnished apartment in North Little Rock. And uh, the gas and water was paid by the landlord. And Man, I was in high cotton on 130 a week. Smoking cigarettes in the newsroom, I imagine. Smoking cigarettes in the newsroom and stubbing them out on the floor. I mean, <laughs> those it was it was it was it was it was another day indeed. It, it's probably better now. I, I mean, I can't imagine a world without the internet. I, I don't. I don't. I just can't. The things I do so easily and so quickly now, thanks to the internet, email, and a cell phone, which I was very late to adapt. It's, it's just, I mean, live video broadcasts from a phone that I hold in my hand. I mean, it's, I, it would have been Dick Tracy wrist TV type stuff back in, back in 1973. So when, when you were, fi did you file stories often by phone where you were watching something and then you called in your story? Yeah, I'd call in and I'd just dictate it off the top of my head. I was I was thinking about that because I didn't lug a typewriter around and, and even try and type something up to read. No, I mean, I remember going to cover the governor of Tennessee endorsing some candidate for office in Earl, Arkansas. And 
I called up the city desk and Shelton answered the phone. I said, here's the story, you know, governor so-and-so said so-and-so today. You just kind of set it off the top of your head. It was a, it was a simpler time. <laughs> well, what, what else have I missed this week that we should talk well, about? Well, my, my favorite story of the day was the crack Little Rock city government. Fox Fox sixteen oh, had yeah. a, fat, a fabulous story this week, and well, it's you won the headline on this. I think <laughs> it took balls. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good headline myself. But you know, it's one of these stories that is a real small, inconsequential story, but it said so much in a in a in a, in a meta kind of sense. And it was this: some jackass neighbor of a woman who's lived in Southwest Little Rock for 15 years on Isaiah Drive. Her name's Herrera, which I think may have something to do with the complaint. Complained that she had a lot of rubbish in her yard. She wasn't keeping her yard straight. And indeed, code enforcement came out and wrote her up because she had excess balls in her yard. Her <laughs> kids have soccer balls, footballs, basketballs, and they, lay, they leave them out in the yard. And so she got written up by, like I said, given seven days to correct this, or she would be fine for excess balls. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the poor woman says, man, I deflated them. I removed them. I didn't want to have to pay a fine. I suspect something else was at work here, but that we motivated our code enforcement guys to bust this woman for a bunch of soccer balls in the yard. And as I pointed out, this is only about a mile from the Maryvale neighborhood where there's this famous hot-headed city hall fanatic named Luke Scrabble, who finally threatened some city officials because they wouldn't clean up piles of garbage on his street. And this woman gets busted for soccer balls? Anyway, I, I thought it was just, uh, it, it was a telling story about the bureaucracy. And this is a city government that says it's going to solve our crime problem. I got a ways to go. Yeah, that the uh, large, bulky trash items is a frequent dis- uh, point of discussion. City board. Oh yeah, I mean, some guy sent in a picture to Fox sixteen on this with maybe to us piles of piles of waste tires dumped by a roadside somewhere, and this woman's soccer balls were a problem. Anyway, yeah, I loved it. It was good. All right. Well, let's let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week? Well, I, I need to, to finish something. I, you know, I have this learning disability when it comes to titles, as you know. And so I want to say that the book that I was reading and I finished that I recommended last week, I still recommend it. It's called Looking for the Good War. And it's by Elizabeth Salmon. And she's an English teacher at West Point, of all things. And, and as I said, this kind of takes on our amnesia about the full course of how wars develop and they're not all bands of brothers doing noble things. I mean, being humans, we do bad things in war. And then because of her recommendation, I picked up another book, what soldiers do. And it's about sexual activities, particularly of American troops in Europe at world war two and the number of really kind of bad actors that, that they had to deal with. I mean, the mayor of La Havre, France, had to complain. He said, you know, you've got to stop these American soldiers from having sex with prostitutes out in the open. You know, it's just really, it's becoming a real scandal and, and rampant venereal disease and that sort of thing. And so, anyway, I think it just, it's just kind of a corrective to American exceptionalism. And 
there's a lot in this in both these books too about the civil war and the mythology that arose out of the civil war of course we're still fighting that battle in arkansas today about the noble confederates the great robert e lee and all the, all those sorts of things and you know you might could read these books and argue that they've gone too far perhaps in busting myths but but i, I do think a, a good corrective that War, war is a terrible thing. One of my favorite parts of the book was talking about Ulysses Grant and how he wrote in his own biography, autobiography that these myths have developed about the noble Lee handing over his sword and Grant graciously giving back to him was a bunch of garbage that it just didn't happen, that this was just something the myth makers made up. And I don't know. I, I just It just kind of gave you a different look on things. Now, sometimes we, we need to look at things without without through these gauzy kind of thing so anyway i found them both very interesting very good but i'm also watching a french series about call the agent it's a french show with english subtitles about oh, yeah. french ta- french talent agency and i started watching it because the new york times they have these cameos by famous actors and actresses the new york times said one of the greatest shows of the year was one with sigourney weaver who i happen to be crazy about he is the cameo actress who appears in one of their segments well, it turns out it's only in the fourth season, so I still haven't gotten the Sigourney Weaver yet. But it's a kind of a, and, but then like uh, Juliette Binochet's appeared and some people I don't know, but that are clearly famous French actors. And it's funny and it has a lot of good character development of, of schemers in the agent business, and young young people on the make and what have you. So it's, uh, it's one I recommend to. Sounds good. All around. Um, I, well, first, uh, some, some news today that I, I saw last night on Twitter, I endorsed station 11 a couple of weeks ago, the, the adaptation of the Emily St. John, uh, or St. Bendel novel is on HBO that, that I just think is fantastic. Uh, the, the guy who's behind that, the creator, executive producer, showrunner, just started a new film company, and one of his first projects is an adaptation of Gringo's Charles Portis. His last I, I, I saw that on Twitter just a minute ago. That's that sounds good. Good for good for the Portis estate. Yeah, that I, it's been a long time since I've read that novel, but I remember it as the wackiest Charles Portis novel. So hopefully that bodes well for an adaptation. Uh, but I want to endorse Control Records, the, the little record shop in Hillcrest. Uh, I uh, Got out for the first time in a long time uh, and and went by there in part because uh, Wes Howerton, the owner, has been perhaps alone since the pandemic begun at at rigidly enforcing a mask requirement. You cannot go in without wearing a mask. Uh, but he's he's got such a great selection, and I uh, I've always had a large music collection, but have resisted number of years of getting into records just because i knew that it could go i could i could just kind of go crazy with it so i've i've tried to pace myself and i'm building up my jazz collection so i got uh some grant green and art blakey and the new pharaoh sanders with floatus with uh floating points uh yeah he's got he's got a an excellent selection of really all genres and he's a super knowledgeable friendly guy so check it out so this is all vinyl, right? All vinyl. Yeah. Do you still have your record player? You know, I've given away. I've I've got a small collection of vinyl still, and I and I have a turntable 
that I think I can plug into my 30-year-old stereo, but I'm not sure. And I just, I haven't bestirred myself to do it. But, yeah, I've, I've had record players over the years, but uh, none that worked very well or they were all kind of out of it. So I, I just got the kind of cheap one from Wes. It was about 100 bucks, And then some basically computer speakers, which at this point are really nice. And and that's that's been a great intro. I may upgrade down the road, but it's working for me. It's possible they've improved equipment since I last made an investment in audio equipment. Maybe, yeah. But I I know a lot of a lot of my friends are real into the vintage players. I I don't understand all the ins and outs and technology. Certainly, they've improved speakers, and and that that to me probably matters more than anything. But. Yeah, all these, uh, we mentioned typewriters. My seven-year-old son has become obsessed with getting a typewriter, and I turned to our colleague, Brian Chilson, who is uh, is also obsessed with typewriters and has a big collection, and there's this big internet uh, market for typewriters now, especially the old Did mechanic. we talk once about the documentary about, uh, about the actor with the typewriter collection? Uh, yeah, is it Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks is it was it was a wonderful quirky little documentary and he yep. has some beautiful beautiful typewriters uh Brian actually has a letter from a typewritten letter from Tom Hanks they were exchanged exchange correspondence about typewriters so oh wow that's cool yeah anyway everything I that's I that's love the underwood new. there's never been anything better than the underwood upright the the mechanism on it and the, the stroke and how easily you could type on it. It was just indestructible. <laughs> I, I endorse the Underwood upright. Yeah, there's definitely something romantic about thinking thinking back to the newsroom where it's just so loud because everybody was banging on their typewriter. Yeah, it was it was coming down the hall on deadline with a story. This long hallway from the elevator in the Gazette building down to the newsroom at the front of the building. And it was just like there was a hailstorm coming from the front of the building because everybody, everybody, about maybe 20 reporters in there just pounding the crap out of these typewriters. I love that sound. It was just a music to my ears. We'll, we'll leave you with that image. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back. See you later. <laughs>